Are you looking to become a leader in clean energy and an expert in clean tech? Do you hope to get noticed in the crowd as you pursue a career in this fastly growing industry? You are in the right place. Join Karan Takar as he invites clean energy leaders to share industry developments, highlight clean tech investment opportunities, and shed light on how you can increase your chances of employment in this high growth sector. We will also discuss the energy transition across key emerging markets like India and explore partnership opportunities for the U.S. private and public sector. After all, this is the Zenergy Podcast. Hello, Fernando. It's so great to see you. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Hi, Karen. Good, good morning. Thanks for, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to, to be here talking with you again and, and catching up. And really looking forward to this conversation. Before diving into your inspiring work at the UN Global Compact, could you please tell us about your professional journey to becoming into your current role, which is the head of the environment and climate team at the UNGC, and why you took on this particular role? Well, I've had a bit of a mix of working with the UN and outside the, the UN, but most of my career was has been within the United Nations. I, in a way, kind of stumbled into the UN doing a master's in, in, in Vienna, Austria, where I applied for an internship at a UN organization called the UN Industrial Development Organization, which is headquartered in, in Vienna. And I started working on a project uh, related to industrial development in various developing countries and sort of really took an interest on climate there. A lot of, uh, all of this work was related to, to the environment and climate change. And having the opportunity of doing an internship, I, I really took it to heart and, and sort of tried to do my best to show that I could do the, the work and really show the, the interest in, in these topics. Off of that internship, I started working then at the International Atomic Energy Agency, which is another UN organization. And this organization is mostly known for safeguards around nuclear facilities and nuclear energy, but it also has a department of, it's called Department of Nuclear Sciences and Applications. So I worked in the isotope hydrology section, uh, working on water projects using, they use carbon dating and different radioactive techniques to look into water management. And, and that's where I continued my journey on, on the environmental field. And I was fortunate enough, enough to move from the IAEA, the, the Atomic Energy Agency, into the Climate Change Secretariat, in, which is based in, in Germany. This was just when the Bali Action Plan in 2007, those that may not know about that, was the first time countries started to look into what next after the the Kyoto Protocol, which was the, the agreement under the Climate Change Convention to address greenhouse gas emissions. So I, I started working on supporting negotiations and, and being in negotiating rooms, more from the technical side, and I had to be involved in a range of, 
of subjects all related to climate, of course, from agriculture, energy mitigation. And within the secretariat, I, I, I moved in, in different positions. I was then seconded to the office of the then Secretary General, Ban Ki-moon, to work in his climate team to support in the organization of a climate summit in 2014 that then Secretary General hosted and in, in New York and then supporting him in negotiations towards reaching the Paris Agreement, which I was fortunate enough to be able to work on that and, and contribute, put my grain of salt in all that work. And after the Paris Agreement, I continued with the, the UN, but uh, working still at the SGs, the Secretary General's uh, office on, on climate. I left the UN for a little bit, went back home, my home country in Mexico, to work with family businesses. And, and this gave me the opportunity also to then, after a decade at the UN, or more than a decade at the UN, see a little bit more of on-the-ground realities that we may not see those of us working at the international level. So I work with uh, family businesses. And then this opportunity to come back to the UN at the UN Global Compact arose, and I I couldn't say no. And it has been a, an incredible journey working sort of behind stay, the, the stage, right? Different entities, different characters uh, globally at the United Nations Global Compact, we work with businesses. We work on the side of the implementation. And I see a, a sort of an evolution of my work working with policymakers. But now what we really need in terms of climate is the, the action. And most of this has to, to be done by the private sector. So I take both pride and, and very seriously the, the work that, that we do here in, in mobilizing businesses. Um, and so I'm really a been excited to to be in this role and, and having the opportunity to work from companies that range from the large multinationals to SMEs that are part of the global compact. It has been a, a bit of an, an evolution going from projects, uh, very specific environmental projects to engaging in, in the policy discussions towards the Paris Agreement the ups and downs of, of those discussions, going back home and then returning to this, this role. So on the UN Global Compact website, it says the UNGC has several entities within it, including a think tank or think labs, as well as a climate ambition accelerator. And I imagine these are just two of several different types of projects that are conducted within the UN Global Compact Fund. Can you provide some insight into the different types of work streams that UNGC engages in with the private sector and highlight where the main area of work is currently today? Yes. So at the UN Global Compact, we have indeed these think labs, which are thought leadership groups with a small group of companies and, and some key partners. And we have this Climate Ambition Accelerator. Last year, we started another programmatic offering called Peer Learning Groups. These are running in, in different ways. These are part of what, what we 
bring to to various companies and depending on the on the size of the companies and how much how many or how much resources it can be also in terms of people and the time of their employees they can dedicate to to these opportunities that that we bring to them so in the case of think labs we get about 25 30 companies and we have been we have closed one think lab we we see these also as um time bound initiatives of about a year a year and a half we closed one last year that was on i think lab on just transition where we had different companies including orsted Ibertrola, mahindra we work close with the international labor organization ilo the international organization of employers also as as partners and with a international trade union association ituc the the intention in, in these think labs is to have this exchange between the, the different companies and, and some of these partners to develop the thought leadership, to bring in ideas. What what's there? What's the role of the private sector? What can the private sector do more of or better? We are a bit flexible as to the specific outputs that each think lab may have. In the particular case of our think lab on just transition, we working with with these companies we developed a series of briefs on you know just an introduction given the relatively new that just transition is a relatively new topic particularly for for businesses sort of getting that lingo from the let's say international fora to the language that business speak which is often not the same and we also worked on on briefs on just transition and financing on renewables on supply chains and, and just and, and on adaptation and, and just looking at how this topic that is really about social dialogue and the, the shifting of work opportunities as the energy transition evolves in globally some jobs may be lost in one place but gained somewhere else so how to, how to manage those in, in an orderly way and, and try to ensure that those that may be on the side where there's fewer jobs or, um, or jobs are lost, that they have other opportunities and hopefully better opportunities than what they had prior to the to the transition within their companies, right? And, and we've seen some developments in that work also in, in the real economy, how some, let's say, automakers are shifting their production from uh, internal combustion engines to EVs without them calling it a transition in relation to their workers, the, the reskilling of the workers is around that. So so we looking at this, uh, what are the views from these companies? What do they need? What's necessary to reskill, retrain workers and, and ensure that they have continued opportunities. No, that's so interesting. Thank you for expanding on that. And you have a program also called the Climate Ambition Accelerator. And we'll just shed a little more context. According to the UN Global Compact website, is a six-month accelerator program that is designed to equip companies with the knowledge and skills they need 
to accelerate progress towards setting science-based emission reduction targets aligned with the 1.5 degrees Celsius pathway, setting them on a path towards net zero emissions by 2050. What are the challenges that businesses face when trying to set emissions targets in these conversations that your team has with them? And how does the Climate Ambition Accelerator Program aid them in setting and reaching these targets? This is uh, one of our other key offerings we've had for a few years. So these accelerators this year were on the fourth round that, that we have this particular Climate Ambition Accelerator. And to give some context, the UN Global Compact, we currently have 70 local networks in, in different parts, both developed in countries. And so they work with the businesses in each of the countries where they, where they are. Through these local networks, we implement these accelerators. So they have some flexibility in adjusting parts of it. And especially when it comes to live sessions, to having a, an exchange, a discussion, they can adjust it a little bit according to the national context. So these accelerators we have, or this particular accelerator, we have developed it in a way that we go from looking to the greenhouse gas accounting, going from, from the beginning of what the company needs in terms of, well, let's look at the baseline where we are. Let's look at the various methodologies under the science-based targets initiative, which is an initiative that Global Compact is a part of for companies to set targets that are aligned with the Paris Agreement and, and looking into net zero emissions towards 2050. So we aim at doing this capacity building to companies and helping them understand the different aspects and, and the different steps they need to take in order to have a target for reducing their greenhouse gas emissions, a target that is realistic and ambitious and that they can feel confident that with this, upon completing this course, they can then engage in preparing a target, uh, going through the methodologies, submitting the target with a high degree of confidence that it will be validated. And of course, it's sort of the first step Right. And the, the hardest work it will be on the company to then work to achieve that target. So we work with them. We have had in, in the past three years that it has been run with, we have had between eight and 900 participants each year. Interest hasn't gone down uh, on the side of the accelerator. Uh, so that makes us quite happy. And we have also seen that a few of the participants have taken the, the accelerator twice. And, and when asking them, why is that the case when we do the end of, of accelerator survey, they come back saying, well, by the time I finished, I had some questions that I would have addressed in the first or second module. So they could actually have joined a few of them have joined again for a second time an accelerator to say like okay i, I need to really dig into this so uh, we're happy that the, the interest is there and, and then that they are taking value out of it and, and having that those that mix also of the 
on-demand sessions, but also the live sessions where they can exchange with different experts and, and share a bit of their experiences and, and really get to the bottom of what what they need within their company also has been quite a satisfying journey to, to see over the past few years. Thank you for shedding light into what seems like a really impactful program. And moving towards COP, which, of course, we're just coming off COP28. I would love to hear some of the work that UNGC was involved in this recent COP, as well as what are some plans building off some of the outcomes that came out of this recent COP for COP29 and COP30 of UNFCC? The COPs are quite interesting events every year, right? It, it's sort of it, the host country changes, uh, the priorities of the host country might be different from one year to the next. And, and we have, you know, also those usual standard agenda items that go from one year to the next. From the global compact side, we, we see our engagement at the COP as how can we bring the private sector perspective in a positive way. We understand that there's been in the past and also at this previous COP, the concerns of our corporations and in particular fossil fuel companies having a presence there, are they blocking progress? But what we seek to, to bring is those companies that are in leadership positions in terms of climate change, whether if it's mitigation or adaptation, or that are really there to seek solutions, to seek partnerships, to do better. So we, we work with these companies and we encourage them to, to take part in these discussions to bring that perspective. We have been shifting in, in the past year our engagement as the UN Global Compact from a relative passive engagement in which we go, we hear, maybe we organize an event, into really getting in a bit more involved in the discussions of the formal process. How can we help build those bridges between the policymakers and businesses. I think it's really important to to see that both sides are working towards the, the common goal and the goals of the Paris Agreement, and that those partnerships need to be made and, and really implemented. So we like to also look forward. You know, I said there's COP29 coming up this year in, in Azerbaijan, then in COP30 next year in Brazil. Countries in that sort of in those negotiations are are looking at their nationally determined contributions, these so-called NDCs, which are really their action plans on on climate, right? And over the next two years, they should be submitting new NDCs, new climate plans. We've seen from the first global stock take under the Paris Agreement on where the world is in implementing their NDCs and towards achieving or staying within the goals of the Paris Agreement, in particular, the 1.5 degree goal, we've seen a, a lot of the NDCs we failed globally. We are not in the right trajectory. So from the Global Compact, we want to bring the private sector, speak to the policymakers developing the NDCs 
to see that these nationally determined contributions are seen by the private sector as investment roadmaps, right? How do countries set up an enabling environment and the right policies and regulations that will allow companies to invest? So we've seen a lot of sort of shortcomings of the NDCs in terms of, well, sort of, this is not taken from any particular NDC from, from any country, but if a country says, I will increase renewables by 30% over the next five years, but there's a huge import tariffs for solar panels or renewable, any sort of renewable energy, that that's going to be a barrier to achieving that goal. If in some cases, maybe some companies, or in some cases, there's a state-owned utility that may be coal-based entirely, and companies or end consumers even have no option of investing in renewables because they must buy from this utility. So that that will hinder progress, right? So how do we, so our goals and intentions over the next couple of years is build those bridges, make sure that there's that conversation so that we can get the two sides in, in, a, in each country to the same table as the policymakers develop their NDCs. That's, you know, respecting their sovereignty and respecting that it's their role to, to develop these. But having that perspective in that there may be a huge opportunities for investments in different areas that benefit the environment and benefit climate action, but without those policies and regulations, those investments might not take place. And we've heard from some big companies where they say, well, you know, there's a huge percentage of my greenhouse gas emissions that are under scope three, that are along my supply chains or my value chain. So there's a limitation to how much they can address those, right? Particularly if other companies in their supply chains are smaller companies, those smaller companies might not have the resources to to, to address their own emissions and, and they hinder progress for the bigger company in addressing their scope three emissions. So how can they work together and work with the policymakers in the various countries where they operate, not just be headquartered, but where they businesses operate to, to make sure, as I mentioned, like these NDCs can can have the private sector perspective, can be used as investment roadmaps. And, and will sort of create that hopeful snowball effect of investment, economic benefit, and climate benefits as well. So important. And I'm curious to learn about how the process actually unfolds for that type of public and private sector collaboration. So as a country is developing their NDC or an investment roadmap, does the UNGC help create some sort of platform which is recurring where then the public sector counterparts who are involved in developing that roadmap have a venue to engage with different private sector stakeholders who are important in terms of helping facilitate the country to actually achieve the targets laid out in the roadmap. Could you just provide some insight into how the process actually unfolds in terms of like what it looks like more administratively and how also companies can get 
involved in these discussions? So this is an, a new program or, or project we're embarking on. It, it's based off this past year consulting with companies and, and getting more, as I mentioned, into the actual engagement in that process. So we are working with a couple of partner organizations to develop these discussions. So of course, uh, as I mentioned, we work a lot with our local networks that we have all over the world. We work with other UN organizations, and and then we're also a, a UN organization with that unique aspect that our mandate is working with businesses, right? So we're kind of in the middle of UN and private sector. So it's really taking advantage of the space where we are, that we are with one foot uh, inside the UN and the other foot uh, with businesses. So we, what we are going to be doing over the next couple of years is going to each national government and we've identified you know, in each country which ministry is leading the development of the NDCs. You know, in some countries, it's the Ministry of Environment. In others, they have a minister of a ministry of climate change. Uh, in others, it's the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. We've been working on identifying which ministry in in each country is in charge of these, and and approaching them to have a series of roundtables. Then we invite our we call them participants, which are the, the companies that are part of the global compact. So we seek depending on on. What's the composition of the, the economic composition of the and interests of the country? What, what it's sort of a, a little bit of a dialogue with the government to identify the the group of companies and, and also a lot comes down to, to also the individuals and to the com- is a company willing to send someone that is knowledgeable of the topic that, that will contribute that can we're looking to this dialogue first to to have those identify which companies we want at the table without being too uh, sort of closing the door to to any particular company given that we want as many as many views as as possible and and different perspectives different sectors in general we have also a keen interest to ensure that Financial inst- companies, you know, banks that that can help spur investments are involved. That companies in the energy sector and involved companies along the food systems value chain are also involved. Given that there's, it's critical to make sure that views that are related to food security are also integrated into indices, and it's um not just the aspect of greenhouse gas emissions, particularly when, when one goes to much of the developing worlds and least developed countries, the, the main assistance that they need in terms of climate comes to, or, or the main priorities that they indicate is adaptation. But we also want to make sure that they have climate-friendly developments. They, they, they need more energy, but can we help secure that part of their NDC involves uh, developing with clean energy. We're happy to engage all of the our participants and, and we're happy to, to have companies reach out to us expressing interest in, in 
in these discussions and, and in identifying the, the countries that might interest them to be engaged with the, the most. We also recognize that it helps to have both an in-person but also virtual engagements. Not, not everything needs to be having people in, in the same room, but there's also value in, in having that. So a little bit of a mix and, and recognizing that virtually one can engage in, in a much wider audience at the same time that may limit the, the interaction between the, the different companies or policymakers involved. Makes a lot of sense. And just a follow-up question, because this is an area as someone who is pursuing a MBA and a public policy degree at the same time, very passionate about to help build platforms that connect the public and private sector. And the UN Global Compact is like the ultimate platform, it seems. So I would love to hear just your perspective working within this realm for the past few years. What are like the major bottlenecks for why there isn't more engagement between the public and private sector? And is that assumption even true? Is there minimal engagement or have you seen that the engagement levels within the climate field between the two are at levels that you think are meaningful? That's a really a both interesting and important question. You know, are, are these engagements happening or not? And if they are, what are the shortcomings? I think it's a, a bit of a mixed answer. So in some cases, there are some engagements, but my perception is that big companies that can have a sufficient resources to, to be influential with any given government in any given country have a little bit of that sort of engagement with the policymakers, but it's a, almost on a case-by-case basis, right? One also has to recognize, I believe, in the internal politics with, within a country, different interest groups and different perspectives within these groups and, and am- among the groups, that also plays an, an important role. In many cases, maybe there's a, a big company that has that engagement and dialogue with some aspects of a particular government, the wide variety or sort of the, the, the wider set of economic actors or businesses don't have that strong push and, and strong dialogue. This doesn't happen to make a significant change. There's also in some cases from some policymakers suspicion on certain business actors, you know, are are they benefiting the economy? Are they just in it for the money? And I think it's also important to recognize that businesses need profits, right? If if they're not profitable, they go broke, then there's no jobs. And, And it's critical to make sure that it's a more open conversation and sort of saying, yeah, the company will make money, but it will also bring this benefit to to society. Uh, I think in the end, it's also what you want, the benefits to environment and society, making sure that jobs will be created, that the right investments will be made. So I think that there's still sort of a huge divide or a huge gap between the, the needs of 
businesses as a whole and the the policies or regulations in place in many countries what often happens is uh, a law may be maybe passed maybe sold and, and they don't take it up because there's some other issue that the government in place may see as a priority and they don't see that as uh, as a priority i've heard from several countries and or several companies for instance that their willingness to do more but they say well i i can't put more because my my business is not energy you know my my business is producing textiles or having another kind of industry but i don't have access to the clean energy and there's no energy company clean energy company speaking with the government to change that to you know seeking the opportunities to promote the investments or they have their sort of government priorities along a certain set of goals and so there's that breach into well they're working on that but there's all these other businesses in different sectors but because they don't work on on a particular issue that may be of uh, key interest to the government then they are not in that conversations the, the doors are not i wouldn't say they're they're not open it's just there's no door so we want to create those doors to to have those engagements globally uh, I, i think it happens all over the world whether rich or poor countries there's uh, different in- interest groups and, and different perspectives and priorities so so we want to have that those conversations in a in a positive manner Appreciate you expanding on that. And I know we only have a few minutes left, so I'd like to shift gears a little bit. Reflecting on your incredible journey, which largely has included spearheading some impactful initiatives at the UN, would love to get your advice on what skills or experiences or just in general things that younger professionals would like to position themselves for an incredible career at an impactful organization like the UN should seek out to develop i think for young professionals um I mean, from and this is coming from my perspective and personal experience my undergraduate degree was engineering and i think that helped me I, i i never thought that as an engineer i could work at the united nations i thought it was all lawyers and people who studied international relations i think no matter the type of let's say undergraduate degree or graduate degree that one has it's about the passion to help people and and really set one sides on on what's the interest so if the un is so touches upon so many different areas you know whether it fits climate energy industrial development gender food and agriculture one can likely find a un entity be it a department within the united nations or a specialized agency where there's a set of skills that's needed and within that one also needs to to look at the the broader picture of how the different things may be interconnected at the global level 
so I, I think it's not so much about what one studies in particular, but how you use the skills gained in college or early early career experiences, work experience. It, it's not a job similar to to a business setting, but it, it is really rewarding. There's uh, many opportunities and it is possibly it's true for, for any sort of work setting. Networking is, is critical and making sure that in networking, one can show the passion for the area that really interests, interests you. What can someone bring to the table to advance an issue? I think it's quite useful to have also outside experience from the UN and bring that that view and, and bring you know proposals and, and fresh ideas. In the last 20 years or so that I've been within the UN or around the UN, one thing I, I have seen is that it doesn't matter how young or old a person is, how much experience is like, what's the desire uh, for the person to contribute, what fresh ideas they can bring. Can they also listen to others' ideas rather than just trying to impose their own and being open to, to that? I, I, th- I think some of my best team members in, in my current team are quite young and, and, you know, they bring in different ideas and different perspectives. It's a, a bit of a mix of the desire, the passion for specific issue, the networking and, and the bringing, sometimes we might think, oh, this is something basic. It's easy for me or it's, but for someone else, it might not be, it might be something new. So bring those to the table, I think are really useful. My favorite question, if you could give one piece of advice, reflecting through the lens of your experiences to first your 25 year old self, and then also to your 35 year old self. Does anything come to mind? To my 25-year-old self, uh, I would say work hard, play hard uh, should not be just a slogan, but really go for it on both sides uh, safely, but go for it. I, I think it's important. One must seek to do something that you find joy in. Then work becomes relatively easy. To the 35-year-old self, I think it's, uh, you know, I would just uh, pose a reflection. Are, are you on the right track? Is, are, are you, do you continue to be interested, motivated on, on this track? Are you around the, surrounded by the right people? Have you found the right mentors? Do, do you need to speak with someone else? Do you need to see different things rather than stay motionless in, in life. I, I think it's important to to have that self-reflection every once in a while and, and ensure that you get more opportunities uh, to, to grow and go for them, seek them out. I once saw some meme that says, like, if you don't like where you are, you can move. You're not a tree. So, and, and I thought oh, it's quite interesting. And, and I think it's interesting to, to do that. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, Fernando, for your time today, for sharing all of these very interesting insights and for all of the impactful work that you do. Thank you. Really appreciate it.
thank you, Karen. It's been a, a pleasure speaking with you today, and, and it, it's been great getting to know you and, and know where, where you're going also in your personal career path. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Check out the episode description or show notes for more information on our guest. See you next time.